Welcome to the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara, the podcast for Central Floridians who want to be in the know on what's happening in Orange, Lake, Osceola, and Seminole counties. Sponsored by the Central Florida Home Brewers, the premier craft and homebrew club. Learn to brew beer, kombucha, mead, or make wine. Visit www.cfhb.org. Now, here's your host, Mike Kara. Well, welcome back to our next edition of the Mike Kara Radio Show, the Central Florida Buzz, here at Front Row Sports Bar and Grill, 146 North Clark Road in beautiful Ocoee, Florida. And what's happening at Ocoee is happening at Frank's Place. And my guest today is Mr. Ryan Williams, who is candidate for the ninth circuit of the uh, state's attorney, ninth circuit. And uh, Ryan, it's a pleasure and honor that you could join me today. It's hard to believe that seven years ago you were uh, running uh, for uh, this position. We were happy to have you. And before we get started, uh, we want to let everyone know, to be fair, we've extended and we are extending uh, invitations to all the candidates. Uh, but, you know, it's up to them whether they want to take advantage of this opportunity. And we really appreciate, Ryan, that uh, you're uh, able to be here. So first of all, we also want to mention mentioned that you're working actually for the 5th District, and you're going to explain that in a little bit. But first of all, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit background, so we could get to, to know you then. Sure, Mike, and thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me back seven years later. Yeah. I, I have a little less hair than I did then, I guess, and, and two more kids. So my name is Ryan Williams, and I am running for state attorney of the Ninth Judicial Circuit. Um, I've been a prosecutor for just about 13 years now. I grew up here relatively local in Claremont before Claremont had a fancy Target and a uh, TGI Fridays and all that stuff. Back then we had a Burger King and a McDonald's and that, not a whole lot else. So I graduated from South Lake High School in 1999. I was valedictorian in my high school class. Ended up going to Rollins College in Winter Park for my undergraduate, played soccer there. Uh, finished third in my class at Rollins, and then I went to um, law school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Graduated from there in 2006, and I've been a prosecutor for the entirety uh, of my legal career. Oh, fantastic, uh, Ryan. So, yeah, we want to talk... Uh uh, you know, a little bit about, of course, uh, this uh, Ninth uh, Judicial Circuit of, um, you know, the state's attorney of the Ninth uh, Judicial Circuit. And, uh, well, probably seven years ago, you already I explained why you're running. But right. just to give a refresher course uh, to tell us why you want to run and want this position. Well, it's a good question because the reasons are similar but not exactly the same. So I ran for state attorney in 2012 when I was 31 years old. Um, and I did that because the state attorney then, Lawson Lamar, I felt did not have the best interests of the community at, at heart. Um, I ended up running, Jeff Ashton ran, and I believed in that summer of 2012 that uh, Mr. Ashton and I would split votes and then Mr. Lamar would win. So I made the decision at that point to get out of the race and support Mr. Ashton. Uh, so Mr. Ashton, as you know, won and was the state attorney from 2013 until 2017 when he was defeated by Aramis Ayala. And I worked in the office for that four years trying, well, I was a manager and I also tried homicide cases. So then Miss Miss Ayala got elected in November of 16, took office in January of 17, and, and I was hopeful. I was hopeful that she would run the office in a progressive way 
and that we would seek justice and I could continue to do my job the way I had. Uh, and of course, that did not happen. And for those of you who don't know or maybe don't remember, in January of that year, Markeith Lloyd shot and killed Officer Deborah Clayton in, um, in Orlando. And about two months later, in March of 2017, Miss Ayala held a press conference and announced that she would not seek the death penalty on any case. Uh, that same afternoon, uh, Governor Scott, then Governor Rick Scott, removed that case from her. And then a couple weeks later, removed every single capital case from Miss Ayala's office. So Miss Ayala, in my opinion, decided that she wouldn't enforce the law. <clears throat> she wouldn't follow the laws of the state of Florida, and, and I was not okay with that. I, I think while you can interpret laws differently, it's one thing to interpret it. It's another thing to say, I'm just not going to follow it. So what ended up happening, and I know this is a long answer to your question. Oh, right. what, what ended up happening is I was one of the prosecutors Miss Ayala had asked to prosecute Markeith Lloyd, and I was handling three or four of the capital cases that were uh, pending at the time. So unbeknownst to me, when Brad King, who is the state attorney of the Fifth Circuit and my current boss, when the governor reassigned the cases to him, Mr. King decided he needed someone local to help him prosecute those cases. So Mr. King approached me in April of 2017 and asked me to come and work for him to handle those cases that were removed and be his person in Orange County to, to do that. Um, it was a it was a difficult decision in that I had always worked in the Ninth Circuit. This is my home. I live in Orange County, um, and I didn't want to leave the office. But I knew that Miss Ayala was not going to follow the law, and I didn't want to be a part of that. So I told Mr. King that I would take the job with the understanding that I was going to run against Aramis Ayala, um, and he was extremely gracious and said that he understood and he was supportive. And agreed to those sort of terms. So in April of 2017, I resigned from the state attorney's office of the Ninth Circuit. And from that point to present day, I've been the leader of Mr. King's Orange County Capital Unit. So it's a very unique situation in that I work, I'm employed and directed and paid by the Fifth Judicial Circuit, which is Lake, Marion, Sumter, Citrus, and Hernando. Brad King is my boss. State Attorney Brad King is my boss. But I only handle Orange and Osceola County cases that were removed by the governor. I I have an office in Orange County, and all my cases are Orange County cases, but I'm I'm directed by someone else. So uh, I am running... For the same reason I did before, which is that I believe that this, the current state attorney um, doesn't have the best interest of the community in mind. But while I disagree with the way Mr. Lamar did things and I and I thought he'd been there too long, my my disagreements with Miss Ayala were more stark in that she made a decision that the Florida Supreme Court later agreed with me that she was not following the law. And, of course, as the, law, the lead law enforcement officer in our community, I think that's important. So that's why I'm running for state attorney. So we mentioned that, uh, you know, about her, about her, and we want to let everyone know now she is not actually r- r- running because I'm sure everyone's kind of <laughs> kind of interested in that, but her assistant's running. Right. So Ms. Ayala, I want to say it was in May. Uh, May May or early June of 2019 announced that she would not seek re-election for reasons that, uh, well, 
I think we can all appreciate. Yeah. Uh, and her chief assistant has decided to run in her stead. Oh, so uh, do you feel that you have, you know, more name rec- recognition? Do you feel you have got a, a, a good shot, shot at this? That I mean, that, that, that it's a landslide, but I mean, you feel yeah. that you feel really confident going into this. That I, I do. I feel good about the election. I announced my candidacy in February of, of this year. And in an almost unprecedented step, the Fraternal Order of Police, which is the largest police union in Florida, uh, the district level endorsed me with, without even knowing or caring who else was running. Because they, I think, would tell you and did say that they felt that strongly about my candidacy. So I've been endorsed by the Sheriff's Office Lodge, OPD Lodge, uh, Corrections Lodge, and the district. Um, Beyond that, I've been able to raise a relatively substantial amount of money so far. We're coming up on about $100,000 that we've raised. Uh, And more importantly, I've spoken to a lot of members of the legal community and the community at large. And I think people recognize that I have the best interest of the community at heart and that I have the experience and credibility necessary to bring credibility back to the office. And as we're talking off the air, uh, Ryan, that Jeff Ashton won't be running. He's happy as a judge. And we we want to let everyone who's not not running because those are, you know, good, strong candidates. But, I mean, do you feel that you might have it a little easier now to run against Jeff Ashton? I do. So since since I ran last time, I've I've probably tried – 10 or 15 cases that, if I told you the facts, the public would recognize, including Bestman Okafer, who, of course, here yeah, in the city yeah. of Ocoee, I was one of the prosecutors who handled Mr. Okafer's case, Juan Rosario, who murdered uh, an elderly woman named Elena Ortega. Um, I, I just was part of a team that convicted Everett Miller in Osceola County for killing officers Matthew Baxter and Sergeant Sam Howard of the Kissimmee Police Department. Uh, Sunel St. Simon, uh, who murdered his stepdaughter uh, in 2014. Uh, so I've, I've done a lot of good work, I think, for the office. And I've built a reputation that I didn't have seven years ago. Um, I like to think that I'm the same person, but, but I, I have a lot more experience and, um, and I think a lot more reputation that will help uh, me with voters in August of next year. And Ryan, you mentioned Kissimmee, and some of our listeners are going to be saying, that's not Orange County, and it's not. It's Osceola. But the one thing we do want to, and I think a lot of people will just describe this, oh, you're running for Orange County uh, State Attorney, but it's both Orange and Osceola. It's the ninth circuit. So, I mean, that's probably something that that you want people to know, that these cases just affect beyond Orange County. Right. So, so. It's referred to as state attorney, but people, we have a lot of Northeasterners who come and live in in Central Florida, and up there it would be district attorney. So the state attorney is responsible for prosecuting every criminal case in Orange and Osceola County. There are 20 state attorneys across the entire state of Florida, covering all 67 counties, but the state attorney of the Ninth Circuit that I represent, or that I hope to represent, is Orange and Osceola County. Yes, sir. 
So that's kind of how it works. I mean, we've seen TV shows and movies. So basically, every you know, if you're elected, every single case will will come to you, and then you decide whether to prosecute, and then you'll assign it to a prosecutor. Is that it? That's exactly right. So there are approximately 175 assistant state attorneys in Orange and Osceola County who help would help myself as the elected state attorney prosecute every single criminal action in our circuit. So the one thing that we're, we're assuming that if you're elected, then you will be back prosecuting, you know, like I said, death penalty paces, you'll be following the, the, the laws. So everything will be back like it was. Then. Right. That, that's right. So I do not anticipate the governor having to remove any cases from an office that I lead. I, you know, the only cases that I handle now are, are capital cases. Right. Um, I don't want people to have the impression that I think every case is a capital right, case. Is right. that I'm an ardent supporter of the death penalty. The death penalty is the law in Florida, right. and it would be inappropriate if the circumstances are right to not seek the death penalty and let the jury decide, which is what our laws provide for. Um, I wouldn't seek death in every case, right. but I would do so in appropriate circumstances. But you want to at least have that option since it is the, the, the law. You, you just didn't care for abruptly not f- following the, the law because something, you know, I guess something was not, not right, but we don't know exactly what the problem was. Huh? Right. So, Miss Ayala quite clearly put her personal beliefs ahead of the law. Right. I have my personal beliefs about a lot of laws, yeah, right? Yeah. But it is my job to put those beliefs aside and make sure that the laws are fairly enforced. If I want to change it, like any other citizen, I can lobby the legislature to change the law. And that's what I would do in certain circumstances. But when it comes to actually enforcing the law, the state attorney's role is to is to make a determination whether the facts fit the law and if so, to go forward. So as we, uh, you know, mentioned uh, that uh, this Marquis Lloyd uh, case took. So the crime actually happened in 2016. And now we find it took like, what, three, three years to get to. Right. So so there are two, two Lloyd cases. Right. Um, In on December 13th of 2016, Mr. Lloyd murdered his pregnant girlfriend, Sade Dixon. Um, And then. On January 9th of 2017, while attempting to avoid arrest, he murdered Officer Deborah Clayton. Right. Um, so, as we were talking off air, this morning I was in court for the penalty phase verdict of Mr. Lloyd's murder of Shade Dixon. And you're right, it's been nearly three years yeah. since that crime was committed. Um, unfortunately, that's not, that time frame is not unusual yeah, right. for a capital case. Um, and and Judge Letty Marquez just set the murder of Deborah Clayton for trial on May 4th of this year. So that case will go forward at that time. And you're going to actually be prosecuting that one. So that, that'll be interesting. Yes, huh? sir. My, my, my boss and I, the elected state attorney, Brad King, and I will, will try that case. So you were talking about three years for a case you know, that uh, is typical, but do you think that, should, that can be expedited? you think it should, but you think people should make sure they get it right the first time? Or do you think that that could be sped up? It can be sped up, and it can still be accurate. Right. So the answer to those, both of those questions is yes. Um, victims and defendants deserve an expedited process. Right. Right? I mean, 
obviously victims shouldn't have to wait for justice. But if a defendant is accused wrongfully, I mean, in a murder case, they're going to be incarcerated. And if they're found not guilty, that means they would have been incarcerated for that entire time and lost that portion of their life. Um, So we we should make that process as quick as possible with the understanding that obviously certain things need to be done and done right. Um, My experience as a prosecutor is that that is largely a function of the judge who handles the case. Uh, I've I've worked in front of judges who required diligence from the parties, so I'll put it that way. Uh, It is usually defense counsel that is that is um, delaying things. And I understand that we're all busy, but these cases take priority. And it would one of the things that I would advocate for as as the elected state attorney is when possible, I would emphasize with our court system that that the resources that need to be used are used and that um, the necessary prodding occurs for defense attorneys to make sure that that we move these cases forward as quickly as possible. Okay, uh, Raya, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back. My guest today is uh, Ryan Williams, who is candidate for state attorney of the Knife Circuit. And you are listening to the Mike Kara Radio Show, the Central Florida Buzz, here at Front Row Sports Bar and Grill, 146 North Clark Road in beautiful Ocoee, Florida. And please stay with us for our next segment of this edition of our program today. Well, welcome back to our next segment of this edition of the Mike Kara Radio Show, the Central Florida Buzz here at Front Row Sports Bar and Grill, 146 North Clark Road in beautiful Ocoee, Florida. And uh, my guest today is Ryan Williams, who is candidate for state attorney of the Ninth Third Circuit. And uh, Ryan, pleasure on you could be here. And welcome to uh, West Orange County, the uh, the land of uh, forgotten time. But I mean, you're going to do some campaigning here in West Orange County. I, I'll I'll do more than some. Uh, West Orange County is the fastest growing part of the county. Oh, I'm along, glad to hear that. Along with Lake Nona, of course. Um, but I, I actually live not too far from here oh, yeah, in, you in, live Winter, in, in Winter Garden. Uh, my family and I moved to Winter Garden in 2014, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the area. Okay, so we want to talk a little bit about the issues and uh, just for a few refresher points that uh, the state attorney has nothing to do with uh, jury duty or that 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 end of it. But one of the things I wanted to talk talk about is, you know, which is not talked about a lot. And that is, well, including doing this podcast is that the type of media that you're going to do. We saw that uh, people such as Jeff Ashton and. Uh, Mike Chickwood, uh, the sheriff, they're very photogenic. So, I mean, that is one of the things that you're going to have to be doing is getting in front of these cameras, is talking to the the reporters and being a very personal person. That's right. In today's society where we have a lot of media options, um, I think it's important for all elected officials to be able to use those media options to communicate their decisions. Now, now a lot of elected officials communicate things, but maybe not their decisions. For state attorney, you know, for many, many years, the state attorney was sort of a a shadow figure who was on high and didn't really, you know, they'd send out, well, we're not prosecuting this or we are prosecuting that and there'd be no press conferences. Um, and I think that's changing, and I, I would not do it that way. And I would like to be as visible as possible. And the reason is people need to understand what we do. 
They need to understand the significance of the decisions we make, and they need to understand how it impacts their lives. And the reason they need to understand that is because that will help us do our jobs better. So one of the in areas that are high crime areas, the ones those are the areas that are really impacted by our office. And the biggest problem or one of the big problems that I see in those areas is that they have very little understanding of of how our office works and what happens. So there's a belief that, you know, the police make an arrest and we just sort of make arbitrary decisions. Um, and like it or not, the the cases that the media hones in on are the, that's the perception or the reality, excuse me, of people who follow the criminal justice system. Right. It's not the 50,000 cases that get handled on a yearly basis. It's the it's the four or five significant, usually murders that give the public a window into how the office works. So if if we want people to understand our system of justice and how they can participate in it, whether unfortunately, if they have to be victims, how that process works um, or if they're just residents who want to make sure that they're safe or if they're accused, we have to be able to communicate what we do and why we do what we do. And I, it would be my definitive intention to do that. And, you know, one thing on uh, your website, Ryan, uh, you mentioned that you are not a politician and you're probably going to get a lot of votes right there from that that statement. But, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, kind of, that I want to mention that I don't think that politics has any place in, in, in justice. You know, you 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 know, we're talking about people's lives here. Somebody's innocent. Somebody's guilty. And to be making deals and all all of this this stuff, you know, you you want justice. So, I mean, the. The fact that you you know you're not going into it as a politician that's definitely a plus right and you know i actually had somebody push back on that one time reached out to me not long ago privately and said hey you should stop smearing politicians you are a politician and and this well and this person is right in the spec that i am trying to be an elected official right, yeah which rep, who represents true. the people yeah. which by definition makes me a politician but the the purpose of me saying that is for people to understand that my decision-making is driven by what is right and what right. is lawful. And I want people to understand that because, as, as we can all imagine, it would be possible for a state attorney or prosecutors to make decisions at least influenced by what the media's perception is, right, or right. people's perception by uh, what they see in the media. And, and I've never done that. It wouldn't be my intention to do that. You know, but that, Mike, that dovetails into what we were talking about a moment ago, you know, you can make the right decision even if it's not popular right. if you communicate that and right. why, right. right? So there are going to be cases or situations where the public wants a prosecution and it's just not possible, right. whether it be because there's not enough evidence or the law doesn't permit it, or maybe the victims don't want to go forward, or maybe it's just in the best interest of justice that we don't. And, you know, people grab their torches and pitchforks and they want to storm the castle, but they're much less likely to do that if they understand the reasons why what was done was done. You know, I I pride myself on being a reasonable person and and I think one role that elected officials have that they have not carried out very effectively in the last couple of decades is explaining their reasoning for why they do what they do. Uh, And I really want to make sure that people understand why we make the decisions that we make. Okay. So we want to talk about, you know, some of the issues. Now you were talking about, you know, dri- drivers 
licenses and you know how all these cases of, of are backing up the course so i mean do your office actually deal with the, the traffic part of it is that part of of, of this office good, good question so the way that driver's licenses and their suspensions are impacted by the state attorney's office is that there are certain crimes possession of certain amounts of misdemeanor cannabis right, is yeah, an example yeah, there there are certain crimes where if you get convicted your driver's license is automatically suspended. So what happens is prosecutor convi- prosecutes the case, judge imposes a sentence and says it's a mandatory driver's license suspension. And then the Department of Vehicles, of Motor Vehicles, or DHSMV, they suspend the driver's license. Right. Now, there are some crimes where I think that that makes sense. DUI, for example. Right. Yeah. If, you get a, if you get a DUI, you probably shouldn't be driving around, at least for a while, because right. you've demonstrated you can't handle that privilege. Um, but I have yet to see or have anyone effectively explain to me why a person who has misdemeanor amount of cannabis should not have their driver's license. Right, and yeah. the reason that's important, Mike, is because people, particularly of lower socioeconomic status, they lose their driver's license. Well, now they can't work right. or it's very difficult for them to work. They have to take a city bus, which is somewhat unreliable and adds impediments. So the next thing they do is they they end up invariably driving without their license. And, of course, they get pulled over. And now they get arrested for driving without a a license. And that compounds a problem. Maybe maybe they are incarcerated for five or ten days. A lot of people, they don't go to work for five or ten days and they lose their job. Now they can't pay their bills. They can't feed their family. Um, or they end up with a felony conviction on their record because of the driving. So I think we, we put that on. It's one of the things we talk about because I want people to understand that we're cognizant that there are certain impediments to a, a lawful good lifestyle for people, particularly at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. And while it is not my job to create good housing, you know, or, or solve some of those problems, when there are situations like that one that, I feel like our office can address. I'm going to try to do that. And like you mentioned, Ryan, you know, you know, it's not your responsibility, your job, you know, to deal with you know, housing and poverty and a lot of you know these different issues that affect you know certain communities. But the problem is, it affects you in the sense that they're not running right. That you're the one that's right. got to deal with them. Yes, sir. That's right. Because when when people end up. When they end up in the criminal justice system, a lot of people who are otherwise good people and make mistakes end up in this cycle that they can't break out of. And, and that doesn't do anybody any good. Right. They're, not, they're not violent bad people, right? right? Because I, I, I say all the time, 95% of people who commit crimes either do something stupid or out of desperation. Then there's the 5% of people who are violent and dangerous that we really have to take care of. Uh, and I want us to focus our resources on that 5% right. and do what we can to help the people, the other 95%, be contributing members of our community. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of different uh, things. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you had mentioned that you want to do, I know Jeff Ashton did, was try cases yourself. Like I said, right. not a lot, but, you know, like like you mentioned that this Brad, Brad uh, King, he's he, he's doing it. So, I mean, you really think that it, that it really helps you, you know, stay grounded or helps, helps you see, you know, what's going on that. Yeah, it serves two purposes for two different groups. 
one group is the public. People who elect me or vote for me as state attorney, I think, want to understand that I can do the job that I'm asking other people to do. Right. And, and I will be the public face of the state attorney's office and the criminal justice system here locally. Uh, and that means that if there's a case of particular import, whether it be a homicide or there are a lot of things that can happen in our community that, that are criminal in nature that the public cares about. I think I should have a role, not all, of course, because you have a lot of management and administerial responsibilities, but I should be the face of that. The other side of it is I am, as state attorney, I would employ nearly 400 people, 180 of which are lawyers, that I'm going to ask to work long hours for less money. And they need to understand that I am willing to do what I'm asking them to do. Uh, I will also tell you that I, I personally believe that I'm an excellent lawyer. So um, I, I should use that skill set and set that example when the opportunity arises. And what advantage you have is that you've been assistant uh, state's attorney, so you actually have been in the position that you're actually telling people they have right. to be so, in. So I've, I'm 38 years old. I'll be 39 in December, and I've been a prosecutor for 12 years. And right now, I have more death penalty or capital experience than anyone else that works in the Ninth Circuit. Any of them, including people who have been there 30 years. So no one, despite my relative youth, no one will say that I'm not qualified to hold the position. So, I mean, you know, we talk about issues. Uh, What are some of the other, you know, issues that, you know, like when you go to different uh, groups and communities? I mean, is there certain issues that they ask you about? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? Uh, Right now, one of the popular discussions and topics is criminal justice reform. Yeah. Uh, People want to know about minimum mandatory sentences and drug offenses, you know, there was a time in this country where crime was rampant, and our legislature, both nationally and at the state level, passed pretty harsh sentencing laws for certain drugs. Um, In Florida, if you possess what is deemed a trafficking amount of a certain substance, for example, hydrocodone, right, right? Uh, and you get convicted of possessing that, all you have to do is possess it to to be a trafficker then you can serve a three, seven, ten year minimum mandatory sentence. Um, I do not support that. I think drug addicts need treatment, not 10 years in prison where they're not going to be unaddicted. And more importantly, we're paying for that incarceration um, when we could be getting them treatment and turning them out to be effective members of our community. So um, now... Again, I can't change that law, right. but as the elected state attorney, I can certainly have an influence over our legislators to let them know that this is a problem <coughs> Excuse me. that is um, infecting our court system. So that's a major issue that people want to talk about, and it's one that I'm passionate about. So as we know, Ryan, there's talk. I don't know how serious it is about uh, recreational marijuana. So if that that passes, you know, we'll leave it up to the people. But if that passes, is that going to make your your job a lot easier? Or not necessarily. If if marijuana were legalized, it would certainly remove a large number of cases that come to our office. Right. Um, I. If as long as it is not legal, it is not going to even if it's not legal, it will not be our office's focus because we want to use our resources elsewhere. Um, But if it were legalized, I would suspect 
you're you're talking about thousands of cases per year that we would no longer be responsible for. Now, there are reasons why law enforcement opposes that. Right. Um, and I understand those reasons. Uh, what I what I can say is that I'm in favor of any law that makes it less likely that possession of that substance is going to ruin someone's life. Right. So, so that that's the the thing we see how uh, cases. You know, there there was a particular the case. I guess the president pardoned her that she got. I think it was like forty or fifty years uh, just for doing this drug deal over the phone. It was just a matter of just calling and setting it up, and then she. I mean, that's something that 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 you will make sure that doesn't happen right. around here. Huh? You know, bad facts and and bad decisions have consequences. For all types of cases, right. I don't know the specific facts of the case you're referencing, but you know, I'm I try to make sure that I and I would make sure that the people who work for me are right. very cognizant that we're dealing with people's lives, right? Yeah, and that even if the law, if if enforcing the law in a strict fashion is going to result in an injustice, then we need to find a way to make sure that injustice doesn't occur within the bounds of the law. So. Uh, uh Ryan, you have, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, great, great ideas. And I mean, have you you gotten new ideas or have you got it? I think you've kind of answered this, but I'll ask it anyway. A new perspective since you've ran the last time or? I have. I, I have um, a better understanding of the size and machinations that the office um, as an entity deals with. You know, I'm also seven years older and I. And I have two kids that are six and five that I didn't have when I ran the first time. And, and I'll be honest that 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 changes you. You know, um, I worked in sex crimes for two and a half years before I had kids. And, and I view that position different now than I used to. I'm, I'm very cognizant of the need to keep our kids and our community safe. Um, but I'm also cognizant that one of my kids could do something stupid at the age of 14 or 15. And I don't want them getting arrested as a juvenile and, and having an experience that's going to change their life forever. So, you know, we all try to get wiser. Uh, I feel like I am. I, I, this is not me saying that I wasn't ready because I felt like I was. And I still, yeah. looking back, think that I was more ready than the other people who were running. But um, I do feel like today life experience and experience doing my job um, has been a benefit. So for you, Ryan, have you been to just, I mean, worked in every area of the, the office? I mean, as far as like, you know, you, you mentioned sex crimes. Right. And so you, you, you've you been, you know, you have experience in these various areas. So you have some knowledge to, to, to bring that? I do. Um, the only area that I did not work in or have not worked in actively is juvenile. You know, we have a separate bureau that handles only juvenile cases. Uh, And my experience with juvenile is limited, but I've, I've made an effort and will continue to make an effort to educate myself on that process as much as possible so that, and and, because that's a hot topic, you know, juveniles and how they're, how they're sentenced and charged and whether or not there are arrests that occur. I, I'm opposed to the arrest of most juveniles in most situations because I think that's, a, you know, putting handcuffs on a 15 or 16-year-old is almost never necessary. It can be. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's a case uh, 
a young man who was 13 murdered somebody in Winter Garden not long ago. Yeah. And that's obviously um, a horse of a different color, but uh, that's the only area that I haven't worked in, but I still feel good about my knowledge of that area of the law. So, though, Ryan, you know, if you're elected, is, is it, will those cases though come to you? Does all the cases, even the juvenile cases, come to you as state's attorney? And then you've, you've got to decide whether to prosecute. So your job will be to at least see if you're going to be prosecuting these kids. I would not personally see them. Okay, you don't. No, I, I do not personally see okay. every case that comes in. Okay. Um, but obviously the assistants that, that operate or would operate under my authority would see them, and which is, of course, like any position, why you have to have good people working for right. you. I, I, I can tell you that I, as the elected state attorney, I would make it my business to be very cognizant of all the homicides right. that come through uh, because I would want to know and be involved um, in the homicide unit in our, in our office because I believe that that, obviously, homicide is a very dangerous and significant crime, but it's also because it's a window and into the community. It's the community's window into our office. And, uh, you know, we were talking that uh, the office handles, you know, uh, so many different cases. I mean, do you handle everything? Like if if I stole one piece of candy, I mean, is that is that something that can be put to your office? Yes, sir, it is. If it happens in Orange or Osceola County, the only exceptions to that is, you know, there are federal law enforcement agencies Right. Or building cases, right. and they can take cases from us. Oh, okay. Um, and there's also a an organization known as the Office of Statewide Prosecution, and they handle cross boundary or inter jurisdictional cases. Okay. In other words, so if there's a a scheme to defraud or, or some sort of multi county uh, crime that happens in Orange, Seminole. Volusia, then that group is equipped to do that. But other than that, if it's a criminal case, the state attorney's office is responsible. Petty theft of a can of soda (laughs) all the way to first-degree murder. Wow. wow. So, but I mean, that is one of the the things I I notice with all due respect that the murder always seems like that's the, that gets attention and that's where the focus is. And, you know, robbery, uh, all all these uh, others, you know, child abuse sometimes gets under the rug. So as state's attorney, you try to bring light all of this as best as you can. huh? Every victim deserves justice. You know, if, if you're a person living in Pine Hills, right? which is an area that has a significant crime problem, and someone breaks into your house and steals your property, and you come home, a person's wife or husband or spouse comes home, and, and that your, your personal security and the sense of safety has been violated. Right. And that changes you. I mean, you can't feel comfortable in your own home. And we need to make sure that we take those cases just as, not just as seriously, obviously, because there's a difference between that yeah. and murder, but we need to take them seriously and make sure that we get justice for all victims. Okay, uh, Ryan, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back for a very last uh, segment. My guest today is Ryan Williams, who is running for state attorney of the Ninth uh, Judicial Circuit. And you are listening to the Mike Kara Radio Show, the Central Florida Buzz here at uh, Front Row uh, Sports Bar and Grill, 146 North Clark Road in beautiful Coe, Florida. And please stay with us for our very last segment of this edition of our program today. Well, welcome back to our very last segment of this edition of the Mike Kara Radio Show, the Central Florida Buzz here 
at uh, Front Row Sports Bar and Grill, 146 North Clark Road in beautiful Coe, Florida. My guest today is Ryan Williams, who is candidate for state attorney of the Knife Judicial District uh, Circuit. And we're so glad, uh, Ryan, that you could be here today and tell us, uh, you know, a lot about the issues and all about yourself. And now we want to talk a little bit about the election. That's another story that I'm going to let you explain because it's... Why does, why does politics, why do these things have to be so difficult to understand? So basically, on August 20th, it could be the general election right. because it's actually the primary election. But if there's no Republican, that it's the general election. But that if there is or a right-in candidate, why don't you just explain? Sure, sure. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be critical of our legislature for a moment. Um, for many years now, there has been a a movement to change this law to make it so that all voters can vote. Right. Um, if you read op-eds across the state, including here in the Orlando Sentinel, they write about the need to do that, and that hasn't happened. So this is what happens. Because I am a Democrat, and this is a partisan race, even, right. though, even though there's a pretty good argument that it shouldn't be, um, because I'm a Democrat and my current opponent is a Democrat, there'll be a primary in August of 2020 that, that I'll be on the ballot in, assuming that, that both candidates qualify. Right. You know, in April, you have to qualify. You have to either pay your filing fee or, uh, and otherwise make, check the boxes with the state, right? Um, from that point forward, if there's more than one Democrat, there'll be a, a primary in, in August. And for that matter, if there's more than one Republican, there'd be a Republican primary in August. Uh, and then there would be a general where the winner of those two elections go forward. But it gets tricky because if there is no Republican, right. then and there is no write-in candidate, yeah. then all voters, Republicans, Democrats, and MPAs, can vote in the August election. But what has begun to happen, and I expect my opponent will do this, is they recruit a write-in, a person who, whose name will not appear on the ballot, and who does not have to pay the filing fee, right? So all they have to do is, is sign some paperwork, essentially. A write-in candidate can close the primary yeah. so that even though there is no true Republican running, Republicans would not be able to vote in the Democratic election, right. which is why people are upset about it, because it basically that decision disenfranchises half of the electorate. And that's, of course, what Miss Ayala did to Jeff Ashton. Miss Ayala famously basically recruited a person who gave her money and then signed up as a write-in to close the primary because it was her bet that she would fare better amongst Democrats only than she would the general electorate. So that's how it's going to work. So I'll just point out, uh, Ryan, in 2012, it was it did become a general election right. because there was three uh, Democrats uh, running it like like you mentioned that you decided uh, you know to support Jeff Ashton because you didn't want your opponent to to win right. but this time you're going to the end even if that right. situation I, arises I, I have had too many people including the law enforcement in our circuit right. stand up and support me and put their name on the line and also contribute their hard-earned money to give me the resources I need to run. Uh, in other words, too many people trust me and say, go do it for me to not finish this race. So, you know, absent a catastrophic circumstance that is hard for me to imagine, um, 
it's my full intention to qualify in April and to go through the election and let the voters decide if I should be the next state attorney. So you just mentioned that you have to qualify then in uh, April. Uh, yes. How's that process go? You have to either pay a filing fee, which is over ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, which you know Deep business here. The, the the good thing about that is that it the legal phrase is clean, it gets rid of the suckers, yeah. right? You have to be serious about what yeah, you're doing uh, to either raise that amount of money or pay it yourself. Right. Um, and then you basically have to check some boxes and make sure that, you know, for state attorney, you have to have been a lawyer for five years right. and things of that nature. And then once that process ends, that basically tells voters, okay, these are the people who have qualified, quote unquote, to be on the ballot in August. So until then, anybody can say they're going to run. But that's the time you really got to put up or shut up, so to speak. So at least I'm glad to hear that you actually have to be a a, a lawyer. Is that a situation where I can say, hey, uh, Ryan, I'm running against you tomorrow? And it's it's the same thing for a judge. Um, You have to be a member of the Florida Bar for the last five years or a member of the Florida Bar and um, an attorney for five years. And, you know, Ryan, you know, you're running for this office, but, you know, I've been dying to ask you this question. Is a judge something in your your, your future? I know we're concentrating on this, but I got to ask, is that something in the back of your mind? No. Um, <laughs> okay. And, and, in fact, I had this I was meeting with some people earlier today and they asked me the same question. Their Their question was is there another office or job that that you would be looking at in the future? And I can definitively tell the citizens of Orange and Osceola County that this is the job I want. Um, I like advocating for victims. You know, when you're a judge, you don't advocate. You call balls and strikes. You make sure that the process is fair. And and Lord knows we need good judges. And I, I support people who are who aspire to be good judges, but it's just not something I'm interested in. I, I like to advocate for victims. Great, great. So now, as far as you know, campaigning and looking for volunteers, you're you're starting that already. Then looking for people to help you and support you. Then we are. So if people are interested, they can go to our website, which is Ryan for Justice. That's R Y A N for Justice, all one word. Uh, or type in Ryan Williams State Attorney to your Google machine, and it'll it'll pop up. We're on Facebook, Ryan Williams for State Attorney. You can contact us through any one of those means. And um, you know, running a campaign is is a lot of hard work. Uh, it it doesn't pay well, which is to say, for volunteers, it doesn't pay at all. Uh, but we are looking for people to do a variety of things um, to help ensure that I get elected. And now, as far as donations go, I get a little confused that individuals, how much, how much can someone g- give you at, at once, or is there a limit? You can only give so much to one candidate? Good, good question. Florida election law permits $1,000 per person or entity. Okay. So you, Mike, and hypothetically, of yeah. course, could contribute up to $1,000. Um, you're spouse uh, could give up to $1,000. If you own Mike Cara Incorporated, yeah. Mike Cara Incorporated could give $1,000. Oh. Um, businesses count as people, so to speak. Uh, but the maximum is, is $1,000. But we're, I am, am grateful for $5 from any person in any time. Oh. 
Okay, uh, so, so it's, uh, yeah, per person and then per missile, if you, like I said, I have a business, I'm an individual, that I could give 2000 That's correct. Oh, That's wow. correct. So, uh, yeah, we encourage. Uh, so, I mean, is that where some of the money is is going is to help pay this this registration fee? Right. You've a lot of expenses. You've got to pay for, you know, people love yard signs. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yard signs, T-shirts, the filing fee, uh, campaign management staff, uh, advertising when the election gets here. All these things cost money, um, you know. What I tell people about politics and elections generally in this country is that the reason money, you know, because I, I don't know about you, but I don't like the, the idea that money is so important in politics. You know, yeah, when, yeah. When, when presidential elections come around, they talk about the billion B with a B that the billion dollars that people have to raise. Um, and to me, that's a negative thing because it it leads elected officials to feel beholden to people who give them money. But the reason that money is important is because we voters are not educated, right? right. So if, if someone were to, to listen to this podcast, and if my opponent chooses to do one with you, listen to theirs, and actually sit down for two hours and make an informed decision, then I or my opponent could run ads talking about how great I am that don't say anything, by the yeah. way, right? Right. And it wouldn't matter because the voter would be informed and say, I know Ryan's position on this. I know the opponent's position on that. Um, and, and the right person would get elected every time. But, of course, we know voters don't do that, uh, at least not all voters. And, and look, I'm, I'm as guilty of it as, as a lot of people. I, I don't research. I try to, but I've, I've been guilty of not researching certain candidates as much as I should. I have two kids, an important job, um, all these things that tug at my time. So we need to be better as a, as a society about researching so that money's not so important. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, we encourage you know everyone, if they're interested in volunteering uh, for your campaign. And ju- just in closing here, we, we kind of you nicely explained how the, the election process is going to, to work. And so you're, you're, you're hoping for that there will just be Democratic uh, ca- candidates and everyone could vote. Is that right? I, that would be nice to to have everyone be allowed to vote, Republicans and Democrats, and have a Democratic primary in August of 2020. I think, obviously, for me, would be the best thing to not have to have two elections, one in August and one in November. Um, but whatever comes my way, like like I said before, I'm prepared to f- see it through to the end. Okay, uh, Ryan, any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to mention? No, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Mike. I appreciate anybody, any member of our community who wants to spend their time and effort informing others and giving a platform for, for people to do so. So thank you for that. I want to ask people to vote for me, to feel free to contact me with any questions that they have if, if the question wasn't asked or answered on your show. And, and no matter, even if you're not inclined to vote for me now, get educated about your candidates, figure out what the state attorney's office does and why it's important in your life, and, and make a good decision. Okay, thank you very much, Ryan. My guest has been Ryan Williams, a candidate for a state attorney of the Ninth Judicial Circuit. And you are listening to the Mike Kara Radio Show, the Central Florida Buzz here at Front Row Sports Bar and Grill, 146 North Clark Road in beautiful Coe, Florida. And please catch us again next time. 
You've been listening to the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara, the podcast for Central Floridians who want to be in the know what's happening in Orange Lake, Osceola, and Seminole counties. Sponsored by the Central Florida Home Brewers, the premier craft and homebrew club. Learn to brew beer, kombucha, mead, and make wine by visiting www.cfhb.org. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you back here next week.